Well, good morning. So I see many of you braved the horrible winter blizzard. I don't know, was it that? It wasn't really that, right? But it's the first one of the year, and so um, you always have to be careful getting out on the road because people don't know how the first one of the year always works. It's going to be a little more icy, and uh, people are going to be spending a lot of time in the ditch. And so it's, it's uh, good that you're here. You're not in the ditch. Did anybody start in the ditch sometime today? No? Oh, well, good for everybody. I love this time of year. I love snow. <clears throat> um, my wife's not a big fan of snow, but I like snow. Uh, we did have our trunk or treat yesterday, and, and uh, we, we knew it was going to be cold in the morning, and we, it didn't show, people didn't show up as, as uh, much as they normally do, but we still had quite a few uh, kids, quite a few adults, and had great opportunity to have conversations. That's the biggest thing for me is just to be able to, to um, sit and talk with some people, and I could tell just a couple of uh, conversations that God put in our path, to, to be, at least for me personally, that I got to have uh, conversations with. Even met a uh, guy from India that is going to be in India the same time I'm going to be in India here in a few weeks. And uh, some of the things that, um, that, that he does, we can help with. And some of the things that we do, uh, he does, we can, that he can help with. And uh, it was just a good conversation. I, I enjoyed, um, just, you could just tell it was one of those things we wouldn't have ever run into each other in normal circumstance, and I think God just put that together. So, so thanks to everybody that helped, was a part of it. Uh, we, just gave, we just gave a lot of kids a lot of sugar, and it was, I, I like doing that. I, I, the parents are like, okay, well, just one right now. And, you know, their mouths are just full of candy and drooling. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great when they get home. So um, I do want you to kind of process a little bit. I, I, I do think w- within the next few months, I think, I think by the in, uh, beginning of summer this next year, between now and then, um, I believe there's going to be another some type of uh, um, scare, some type of pandemic, some kind of something like that. I think that this has to happen according to the, the way the, our country is going and the way the, the, the kind of the woke mentality that's taken over our country. And I also think in fitting in the bigger picture of, of uh, control and how this works out worldwide, um, a lot, a lot, this is not something that I've spent a lot of time talking about. I usually talk about the control and the manipulation and Satan trying to develop the one world, all the one world stuff. But... The uh, wealthiest of the wealthy really made a lot of money during the pandemic, a lot of money. And, uh, and they liked it. They liked the control and they liked the money that they made. And so I, th- I think because this next year is a presidential election year, I think that um, I think we're going to see this again. I think we're going to see something like that again. Um, so just kind of pay attention to this. This is, this is how I think right now. This is, my, this is my guess at this. This is how I think you can track it the best. Or the easiest is to pay attention to how the media uh, processes, and and that includes DOJ and everything right now. But how they uh, how they uh, um, go after Trump. Okay, I think that's going to be kind of the way you're going to see what their plans are. When you see this is something I've I've had this conversation recently with with um, people that are asking me as we get closer to the beginning of next year's uh, session in the House. Representatives, I have people say, what, what do you think is on the horizon? What's happening? And I do, and I do um, 
um, have, you know, I guess insider processing of this, and I know some things are going to be happening and how people are looking at this. And, um, but I tell them, I said, the easiest way you can do this is somebody that's just, well, how do I know? Pay attention to certain uh, liberal groups that are in the media in Colorado, like Colorado politics. They're kind of considered middle of the road, but they're not. And uh, some of those kind of things, um, what is it, the Times Recorder, I think. I don't want to name the more liberal ones because they put a bad taste in my mouth and I want to preach. And so, But when you pay attention to the articles that they're doing that are th about things that are not happening yet, and they're just kind of speculate, just spitballing here. What they're doing is they're setting up what's about to happen. Uh, they've already been told, okay, this is some bills we're going to run. There's some things we're going to do. The governor's office has told them something. And, uh, and you can kind of see, oh, this is what is, is coming. Um, I, I could give you five or six examples. But th this, this also kind of lets me know this is, this is, they're laying the groundwork for their team. Um, and the, the media is not on my team, and I'm not on their team. And so they're laying the groundwork for this. So you can do the same thing in Colorado. You can do it at a national level. More at the national level, CNN, MSNBC, they tell you where the liberals are headed. They tell you. They tell you what's coming. But the easiest way, I think, right now is watch Trump, and, uh, and you'll see whatever they're doing to Trump. Now, this is something that um, I, I ran across. There's a bunch of this happening around the country right now. I think this is pretty cool. <clears throat> but this, this falls into the category of, so, so um, Roe versus Wade gets overturned, all right? That is, that is the, the biggest thing that's happened in 50 years. And, uh, and, and a lot of the uh, pro-life groups were saying it would never happen. They weren't even really fighting that fight anymore. Um, a lot of the church was saying this is not going to happen. They weren't fighting that fight anymore, uh, which is sad because uh, God's still God, and he does really big stuff. Okay, so Roe versus Wade gets overturned, Dobbs happens. So now what happens is it goes back to the state level. Now the states are making the decision on this, which has always been my argument. I'm, a, I'm kind of a federalist guy, and, um, and I think that the, the states are the ones who are supposed to be making big decisions like this, not the federal government. All right, that's how we were designed, and, uh, and that's changed a lot over the last at least 100 years. And so... So now it's back at the state level, and we're seeing some states that are, over, that are uh, uh, making abortion illegal. Here's just one. Uh, Louisiana abortions have dropped 39% since they made abortion illegal. Now, this is huge. So people say, well, yeah, but they just travel to, like, Colorado. And, we, and Colorado is now a destination state for abortions. But the thing is, is look at it statistically... How much, well, just take Louisiana, just go right around Louisiana and find the first state, the closest state that makes, uh, that abortion is still legal and see how much their abortions go up. It doesn't go up at the same rate that the abortions go down in the states that you make it illegal. In other words, not everybody is just traveling to another state like everybody's argument has always been. The, le the left side has been is, well, they'll just go to another state. Colorado's abortions are going up some, but not as much as, as what they theoretically should be if, uh, because of these states that are making abortion illegal. So, so what am I saying? We're winning the battle. The, 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 uh, the baby killers do not like it when we talk about this stuff, but we're winning the battle. You can look at this stuff statistically. You can, you can just Google it. Um, you're sitting at home bored and you want to do some stuff. Just Google 
uh, percentages of abortions in the United States per state up or down. And then start looking, your overall numbers are going down at a, at a very quick rate. You know what that translates into? Not just that we want on a political level, because that's not the point. It's those are babies' lives that are being saved. That's where we're winning. Babies are living. That's where we're winning. Okay? I'll talk more about that as I get a little closer to uh, the session starting in January because of some things I'm going to be doing, um, a bill that I'm going to be running and some things like that. So um, one more just little throw out here on this. Uh, your, your ballots are all going to be due or you're going to go vote um, in this next week. And uh, please vote no on Prop HH. This is a trick by the governor to try to take away our money, take away taxpayer money, this, is a, this, will, this will destroy uh, the economy of Colorado. Not, this is a bad idea, you know, you could go either way. That is not what it is. This will destroy the economy of Colorado. So vote no on Prop HH. Now, you did see, maybe as you were driving in, I don't know if you were paying attention, but uh, the landscapers have been doing a lot of work out there. <clears throat> um, we decided to go with a white blanket motif on our uh, landscaping. Um, they actually have been out there this week doing a lot of stuff, and it, and it actually looked really good um, right before um, God did some stuff. And so um, so I'm saying all that. You, over the next couple of weeks, as the snow melts, you'll see what's happening. Um, we are really pushing. We're trying to put every single extra penny we have here at, at uh, Briargate to, into a savings account so that we have all of this uh, money sitting there so that we can start our our uh, construction project um, this spring. So by end of March, we want to have um, as much money as possible, quite a few hundred thousand dollars sitting in the account. So, so some of that is we're spending on things like the landscaping, but that's part of the building. So uh, be thinking about that as you come to the end of the year. And then um, as you're starting next year, think about giving monthly or, or however you want to do that. Pray about it. Think about it. And, uh, and contribute accordingly. So, so this last, a, a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, this was a few days after the um, uh, Hamas uh, busted through the gate and started literally just going and, and murdering, just randomly murdering uh, Israelis, specifically young children, babies, infants, um, just brutally massacring these people. And... Uh, the Wednesday night following, we talked about this some, and we were looking at, uh, I was just explaining kind of the bigger picture, not just that, but how Hezbollah fits into this and how Iran is backing this financially. And where did, where did Iran get the money? I uh, remember Obama sent them um, $300 billion um, in cash, in cash, you know, because it was all above board. That's why you load pallets of cash into a plane and send it to Iran. Uh, we're also still giving tons of money. I think 1.5 billion this last year that we sent to Iran. Um, <clears throat> and two days after that happened, uh, the, 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 all of this stuff started, the, the uh, sanctions and everything that we had against Iran were, um, were uh, expiring. And instead of saying, hey, this is not okay, 
this uh, Iran is backing Hamas, is backing Hezbollah. The reason they that that went uh, happened and went into Israel is because Iran is backing the whole thing. Everybody on the planet knows this, okay? <clears throat> but rather than us acknowledge this or deal with this, we let the the, uh, the sanctions or the kind of the embargo mentality go away. Now Iran has the ability to spend on nuclear weapons, do whatever, develop nuclear weapons. There's no controls now whatsoever. And all we had to do was say, no, we're not going to do this. It's still existing. But we decided we didn't want to do that. So we're talking about all this on this Wednesday night. We're talking about uh, China is going to invade Taiwan. I've been saying that for about six or eight months now. I know China's about to invade Taiwan, but now China's been saying it. Um, I guess they got, they, maybe they're part of my email list. I don't know what's going on. But now they're like, okay, we're going to invade China. America better stay out of this. So we're talking about all that, and, and a few different people um, in, in, the, in the Wednesday night service who are going over this um, expressed some concern. And so I want to I wanna go down that road. I want to talk about that and, uh, and help us to process some things here with this. Um, what does it mean to worry about this kind of stuff? Lynn and I talked about it for a couple of days after that. During the... During the service on that Wednesday night, um, she got up and left. It got too emotional for her, uh, the discussions we were having. And, and this stuff makes her nervous, makes many of us in this room nervous. The end times, they're coming. Um, I don't believe the end times are coming. I believe we're in the end times now. I think we've kind of crossed a line, and, and we're in the end times. Not, we're not in the, like the tribulation or that kind of stuff, but we're, we're right there. We're... We're deep into Matthew 24 and 25, okay? Um, I think we're quickly approaching. In fact, somebody, who was it, after first service, Teresa came up and explained how now Turkey is getting involved in the war um, against Israel. Well, that's, that's another step closer to uh, Ezekiel 38, right? Ezekiel 38 includes, um, uh, what is it, uh, six or seven... Um, I just lost that. Six or seven, I think. I think it's more than that. Um, Arab countries. All the Arab countries surrounding Israel except Egypt. Egypt's the one that's not in the list, okay? And so we're getting closer to that. The more these countries step up and start saber-rattling and then start heading for Israel, uh, theoretically could be um, Ezekiel 38, which I'm going to preach about in um, two weeks. Two weeks. And so we're talking about that. And with all this, we get, it makes you nervous, right? The concerns that uh, people were having on the Wednesday night were a couple of things. But one of them, and this is a legitimate process of concern, is, okay, what about if we have um, little kids? We're, we're approaching the tribulation. We're approaching all this stuff. What if, it hap- what if the tribulation happens next year? Now, I preached about this. this I, I did this just a couple months ago. I was talking about the rapture. But I believe that the, the, the Lord has told us he's going to come back before the generation of the 1948 signing of the peace treaty. I mean, the, the becoming a country, before that generation goes away, the signing of the peace treaty will start the, the tribulation. According to Scripture, 70, 80 years. So, and we're at 75 years from 1948 right now. So I believe we're in that window. I may be wrong about this. It may be another 100 years before Jesus comes back. But I don't think so because there's too much scripture. The Lord has told us about this stuff. Well, that makes us nervous. Tribulation's about to happen. Battle of Gog and Magog about to happen. By the way, Battle of Gog and Magog, don't worry about that one. Don't be scared about that one. Okay? 
It's going to look bad. It's going to look real bad. I'm going to talk about this in a couple weeks. It's going to look real bad. In fact, I'm going to show you something about the signing of the peace treaty and the Antichrist in relationship to the Battle of Gog and Magog. I can almost guarantee you've never heard this um, thought process before because I've looked for it everywhere online and I, I can't find it anywhere. All right? But I really believe God showed me something about this. Now you want me to preach about it right now, don't you? But I'm not going to. you got to come to church in a couple weeks. So, but don't worry about God, battle of Gog and Magog because they all come up to Israel, but they don't actually do anything. God kills them all. So that one's not really, don't sweat that one. But all this other stuff that's happening, it makes us nervous. But I want to show you something. Hopefully by the end of this morning that you say, yeah, but maybe I don't have to be that worried. I'm going to show you some scripture. I'm going to show you some stuff about this. Maybe I don't have to be that nervous about some stuff. And part of, the, part of the reason, I want you to process where fear comes from. I don't mean like phobia type of fears, right? I'm scared of heights, okay? Uh, that's, that's not the kind of thing that I'm talking about. That's in a different kind of category, okay? Um, being f- afraid of spiders. That is a legitimate thing that people should be afraid of. Um, <laughs> That's not the kind of stuff. And, and here's the reason we know, because uh, spiders are out to get us. I think we all know that. That's not, I'm not talking about those kind of things. Those are phobias. Those usually come from somewhere, though, you know? Did you know that? It usually comes from a moment in your life. Um, I've been stung by scorpions many times in my life, and, uh, and I'm not afraid of scorpions. I don't think I've ever been bitten by a spider, but, man, I'm scared of spiders. I can't do spiders. And then I'll give you one that this, that, that I, that's a thing for me, is I cannot do needles. I, I'm, I just, I can't. It makes me a little queasy thinking about it. So I just cannot do needles. Um, when I go get my blood taken or something like that, Linda has to go with me. And, and when it comes time, she's just sitting there, we're talking, and, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And then when they rub it with the alcohol and she gets the needle out, I have to, Linda has to hug on to me, and I have to put my head in her chest, and she wraps her arms around me, and then the nurses start making fun of me and stuff like that. But I can't do it. I can't help it. I can't, I can't do needles. And then I'm doing physical therapy on my shoulder and everything right now by um, Doug and Trisha's son, John. He's a great physical therapist. I've been impressed. And uh, so he, he was out the other week, and he said, hey, um, have you heard of this dry needling thing? And I was like, <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, I can't do that. He said, no, it really, it's very effective. And I said, I can't do that. And he said, but it doesn't hurt. They're really tight. I said, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And then I mentioned to somebody else, and every time I mention it, somebody says, oh, I've seen that done, or I've had it done, or it's really effective. Okay, but I'm not going to do it. Those are different kind of things. Those are phobias, that kind of stuff. I understand that. They're a different category, and I can address that sometime in the future, but that's a different category. But I'm talking about things in the core of your existence where you're really, you're really concerned, worried, anxious, afraid of, of the direction life is going or for your family or for your children or those kind of things. Okay? They're real. They're, they're very powerful, what happens to us. But I think that that they are much more about the way we process and choices that we make rather than something like being afraid of spiders. I can't choose not to be afraid of spiders. 
But I can choose not to be afraid of the end times because specifically Jesus says, don't be afraid of this stuff. Okay, he never one time says, don't be afraid of spiders. <laughs> right? Okay. So, so as, I'm, as we're going through this, I want you to process how much control do I have over this kind of fear? Because I think you really do have a lot more control over it than you think you do. But you've got to get all the way down to the bottom. Somewhere down to the bottom is a foundational thing that says, I am afraid because of something. And, and, at, the, and at the very core of that, there is this uh, connection and relationship to how we see Jesus involved in our life. How deeply we see, how big he is, what has he told us, all these kind of things. Matthew chapter 24, I talked about this. I'm going to use some scriptures that I used a, f- a couple months ago when I was talking about the rapture and some of that. But uh, Matthew 24, now Matthew 24 and chapter 25, both of them are all about as we're leading up to the end times. It'd be, um, I think, an important thing to read. If you haven't, if you say, well, I don't even know for sure what that's about, get it out and read it. Um, This would be a good time to read Matthew 24 and 25 because it does talk about all the things that are happening around us, okay? And they're getting stronger and stronger. So um, verse 3. Matthew 24, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? And it's interesting. I, this is, I've, I've watched this happen. I went, so I went into the Navy um, in 1988. I was 17, and um, I wasn't a Christian. The, the uh, next year, I got saved, became Christian, and... Um, Two years later, I'm the youth pastor of a church. I'm still in the Navy, and I would go um, to reserves and things like that. I would go to, to Navy ships and spend some, a few weeks on Navy ships, things like that, okay? In 1991, Lynn and I got married in December of 90. In January of 91, I get the phone call. Um, Desert Storm is happening. We're mobilizing you. They didn't ever do that. I went and checked in, did all this stuff, but I never got... I never left. I, I fought Desert Storm in West Texas, which is kind of similar. But, but um, so this all happens. So immediately everybody starts talking about this stuff. And anywhere I would go in the Navy and people find out I'm a Christian or later I was a youth pastor or the, the, for about five or six years, all the questions were the same. Um, is is, um, is um, Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? That was the question, right? And uh, tell us about Revelation. Tell us about the end times. I actually started studying this stuff at a at a a deeper degree because of the questions, not because I had this deep desire to understand eschatology. I I I enjoy studying it nowadays. Back in those days, I studied because I felt I needed to. Everybody was talking about it. After a while, things kind of changed, calmed down, and I didn't have the questions anymore. For probably 20-plus years, 25 years, I didn't get questions about end times. The last five, six, seven years, I get questions all the time. In fact, going into the Capitol, everything happened in the Capitol. Hey, does this have to do with the Is this in the Bible? Is this revelation? Is this? And I always tell them, Jesus is standing right behind you. You know, I don't, I don't do that. So, but, but those are the kind of things, questions. All of a sudden, why? Because we see stuff happening. We see what's going on. The disciples said, hey, tell us about the end of the world. And this is a big subject, and Jesus does spend two chapters 
talking about this, but I don't think that's a lot of, of uh, I don't think that's a lot of coverage for such a big subject. I think he encapsulates it pretty quickly, pretty simply. But he says, verse four, Jesus said, "Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the d- Messiah. They will deceive many." I think we're going to start seeing kind of a surge of this mentality. Um, I saw this a lot in the, uh, again, in the um, 80s. Um, really, so if you're old enough, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I wasn't alive in the 60s, but 70s and 80s, we did start seeing these kind of things. Um, this is where we got the Hare Krishnas and the Moonies and all this kind of stuff, right? I talk about that a little bit in one of the, jour- one of the sessions in the journey that I go over, where these come from and stuff like this. And, and, uh, and this generation... Over here doesn't even have a clue what I'm talking about, the Moonies and the Krishnas and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you couldn't even go to the airport back in those days, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you don't, watch Airplane. No, don't watch Airplane. It's, a, it's not a good movie. So, but he said, many people will claim I'm the Messiah. Now, here's the thing with this. I don't think it's just the mentality of what we think about about Jesus being the Messiah. I think there's a bigger picture here, the deception of the spirit of Antichrist that's involved. Okay? And I think one of the things that's playing into this right now, which I think we're going to see this build and I think we're going to see this transition into more of, of all of a sudden people are going to be claiming to be God again like they did back in those days. Um, like, the, the, like Hare Krishna, you know, Hare Krishna actually said that he, because he believed in reincarnation, it's a version of Hinduism. And, uh, and he believed that he was Jesus Christ's father that had been reincarnated a handful of times. Look that up. And that was the Krishnas, right? I got in big trouble one time at Christmas because I was singing um, Merry Christmas, Merry, Merry Christmas. But I was trying to do it in different, I was a kid, I was like 10. I was trying to do it in different um, dialects around the world because, <laughs> you know, why not? But uh, so at one time I was singing Merry Christmas, Merry, Merry Christmas. And my mom got so mad at me. She said, we are not Krishnas and you will stop saying that. I was like, what's a Krishna? I didn't even know what she was talking about, but she was on top of it. So <clears throat> they will deceive many. I think a lot what, what we're seeing right now in line with all these people that every other week somebody's coming up with a new prophecy. As I think you have to be careful of that stuff. And here's my thinking. If somebody says, if somebody makes some kind of prophetic thing, and specifically if they are are making it intentionally prophetic, in other words, God told me to say this, um, in six months this is going to happen. If in six months that does not happen and you keep listening to that person, you're the idiot. Scripture is very clear about that. In fact, what we're supposed to do is drag them out in the streets and stone them to death. I don't suggest that, but I do suggest stop listening to them. Everybody's got, everybody's got something, and they're doing it just because of sensationalism. People like to be looked at, or they like what, if they get money from it or whatever. You know, how, you know the best way for you to know what Jesus wants you to know? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. The Lord will tell you this stuff. You say, yeah, but I want the cool, you know, what... Is, is Apache Helicopters in Revelation 7, I think it is. It could very well be. But I don't think we have to focus on that. I think what we focus on is my next-door neighbor doesn't know Jesus, 
And if this goes down pretty quickly, he needs to know Jesus. Right? Get in Scripture. Learn it for yourself. Process it yourself. He says, they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Jesus is saying this. Don't panic. Are there going to be wars and rumors of wars? Yes. But that doesn't mean that you have to be nervous. It doesn't mean you have to be afraid. The, the scripture says it is going to happen, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but this is only the first of the birth pains uh, with more to come. This stuff is going to happen. We are in, I think we're in that place right now. I think the vein of that or the river is rushing, and I think we're in that right now, okay? Um, but don't panic. Then down in verse 45, and this goes further down, he's talking about all these things, all this stuff that's happening, all this, what, how do you know this is going to happen, all this kind of stuff. But then he says, and, he, and this is part of kind of a parable that he's using to explain the end times, and he says in verse 45, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. God has given you the responsibility. If you're a parent, God has given you the responsibility of taking care of your children and, and others around you. Okay? If you're not a parent, he's given you opportunity to, to um, take care of those around you. Right. This is what I was talking about a couple weeks ago. If you're on that, on a maturity level, if you're on a scale of like 1 to 10 and you're, you're a 3 uh, spiritually mature, well, then there's some 1s and 2s you need to bring along with you. That's the, that's the importance of this. And God's giving you responsibility. You say, well, I don't really know where I'm on the scale. Well, here's what I do know. You are responsible for some people. Okay. There's the, there's the natural known circle, which would be your family, those closest to you, but there's other people, your workplace, things like this where people are paying attention, they're watching you, and the more that you surrender and submit to God, the more that you will naturally be leading them in ways that you may never, ever know, but they're watching you and they're following you, okay? So you are responsible for people. Bring them along, and the Lord says, if you do a good job with this, there's going to be a reward. This is right in the middle of all the negative stuff he's saying. There's people that you're responsible for. Bring them along. This is part of our mission statement here at Church of Bargate, that we are, that we are pursuing God, that we are chasing after God with everything about us. I mean, that's a supernatural endeavor. I'm not saying exactly our mission statement. I'm telling you, broadening it. But then it says, part of the mission statement is, and, and that we will bring as many others along as possible. Okay. We're going after God, but we are responsible for bringing others along. For, for some, that is people getting saved. But for others, it's people that are already saved, and we're bringing them along too. And it should be both in your life. Just, it should be both of those in your life. Bring people into salvation and bring people along on the journey. And this is our responsibility. And the Lord says there's going to be a reward for this. Right in the middle of all the big stuff. Right in the middle of the end time stuff. The the marching up to the tribulation, all the stuff. Guys, there will be people that God is depending on you to be telling about Jesus. There's going to be people that are, they're, they're so don't, don't spank him. 
Just made a little noise. Be nice. But, but there are going to be people that God is depending on you to do this. He's called you to do this. He's anointed you to do this. Right? Be responsible for that. God will reward you for this. So, so where in all this, when you're reading through Matthew 24 and 25, right before you go to bed tonight, <laughs> that may not be the best time. <clears throat> but when you're reading through this, ask yourself where you are in this. Where do you put yourself in this? Are you the person that is going to get the good reward? Are you the person that's not panicking? Are you the person that's being concerned about this? All right? Jesus does say if you're pregnant, this will be, this will be difficult for you. But it doesn't say if you have little kids, it'll be difficult for you. Those are actually two different categories for two different reasons. All right? Having little kids, there are going to be a lot of little children that are, that are coming along through this end time stuff, approaching um, the uh, tribulation. But that's part of the reason your mom or dad or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa or whatever is because you're going to carry them along with you and you're going to protect them. And God has given you a lot of promises that he's going to do that with you. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, and I will try to convince you that Jesus really is bigger than the fear. Don't, don't be afraid. Okay, so I, I want to show you a picture. This guy, his name is Charles Blondin, and uh, Charles was a tightrope walker, in case you didn't pick up on that, but uh, he, in the 1800s, okay, and, uh, and um, in the summer of 1859, he decided he's going to walk across uh, Niagara. So he stretches this big tightrope um, across Niagara Falls. And, uh, and he's, every day he's out there walking across, and he does a bunch of different things in the process of this. There's people on the Canadian side. There's people on the uh, uh, American side. And he would do these little speeches. And, and, of course, that's how he made money, and people would give to him, all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so he would walk back and forth. Every day he would do this multiple times. And uh, some of the things that he did is 160 feet above the falls. And uh, some of the things he did was he crossed uh, over in a sack. Um, he did that a handful of times. He crossed over on stilts. Okay. Some of you are like, I'm afraid of heights. I couldn't do the stilts. <clears throat> um, he crossed on a bicycle. One time he actually carried a hot stove and cooked omelets. I'm not making this up. Across, back and forth, and he would make omelets while he's crossing the rope across Niagara Falls. Okay? Um, on um, July 15th, he walked back and forth multiple times between Canada and America, walked on the tightrope, pushing a wheelbarrow. Okay? Um, and, and on this particular day, when... When he got back to the American side, and he did the same thing for the Canadian side, and he did this a handful of times. But when he got back to the American side, he's asking everybody. Now, they've already watched him go across. He's done all kinds of stuff. He, had, he would put people on his back and carry them, all kinds of things. And, um, and so he tells everybody, um, do you guys think I can go back across in the wheelbarrow? Everybody cheers. Yeah, you can do it. You're the man. All this. He goes, okay, well, what if I put something in the wheelbarrow? He's like, you got this. We, we believe in you. And he says, okay, what if I put a person in the wheelbarrow? He's like, yeah, that would be awesome. You can do this. And everybody's cheering him all this stuff. And he said, okay, who wants to volunteer? Silence. 
Nobody volunteered. See, I think this is, this is, um, this is a description of the church. Jesus can, can prove to us over and over and over who he is, what he can do, and how he can do it. And we will sing the songs in services. We will worship. We will put all of the stuff on Facebook, the scriptures, the things. But when it comes down to do we really trust Jesus enough just to get in the wheelbarrow and go wherever he's going? Not where we want him to go along with us, but where he's going, all of a sudden we start getting nervous and afraid of this. But Jesus, um, today's different than, than back whenever. I've heard that so many times over the years. You, you read a story out of the Bible, yeah, but we're not, we're not like those people then. Really? What makes us so different? They were creating the image of God. We're creating the image of God. Yeah, but life is so different. Yeah, there's no lion's den I've ever been thrown in. You're right, it's different. It seems to be, from my perspective, America seems to be much easier than most of the things I've I've read in Scripture and most of the things I see around the rest of the world. But but what about this? What about this? See, what happens is is we get afraid. We, We shout the praises of the Lord we, we uh, describe all of the things that God is doing. We put the scriptures. We do all the things. When it really comes down to the very, very difficult places in life, that's when we begin to wonder, can God do this? Can God do that? What is he going to do? There's, there's been many times over the years when I've been very, very frustrated, even angry with God, because he didn't seem to be doing the life the way that I think he should be doing it for us. Well, at the very core of that, at the very core of that, There is a, I don't really trust the Lord. I'm not all in with him. And and I'm saying that for myself. That those are the moments when I realize, maybe I don't trust the Lord enough here. Maybe I I think I do, but when it really gets difficult, maybe I don't believe in the Lord enough here. There's been times when I know the Lord has told me, I want you to get in the wheelbarrow, we're going. Man, I fight and fight and fight. I'll even get mad that God would even suggest that. Right? Psalms 23. Most of the time you hear Psalms 23, when is it? Funeral. Which is interesting because I guess it does help people with that, but there's so much more to me. I, I, I just never really understand except for maybe one verse in 23. I don't really understand why it's read at funerals. It seems to be much more about daily life and the stuff of daily life, except for the one sentence. But let's look at this. In verse 1, Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Man, that's a, that's a powerful starting moment. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Um. There's been most of the time in my life, there's, there's times when I really do believe, okay, Lord, I, I do have all I need. But those are actually very rare times. I always seem to need more, right? Um, I have a Jeep. I love my Jeep. But I, I really needed new lights, <laughs> Right? Lynn and I discussed this for months and prayed about it. Or I did. I don't know if she was praying that much. 
I need these lights, right? It's weird how in America we, we th- the things we think we need, right? You say, well, yeah, but like food and all that, yeah. Let's, let's take honest stock of our existence most of the time. We really have everything that we need. It's not the way we think. We're not wired to think that. We're actually wired to think the opposite of that. He continues, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. How does he renew my strength? He makes me rest in green meadows and leads me beside peaceful streams. When we are working in the vein of life that the Lord wants us to be, and we are processing and pursuing the things that God wants us to be pursuing, and we're really chasing after him, it's amazing how he can bring peace and he can bring rest into our existence. Usually the reason, not always, but usually the reason I found, definitely personally, but I've seen this in many other people's lives, the reason that we get to the point where we, where we don't have that rest and we don't have that peace and we don't have that comfort is because we're not letting the Lord take us where he wants us to go. We're pursuing where we want to go. Um, we're, our, our busyness, this is one of the, the misconceptions of life that I've always found interesting because I'm very guilty of this is the busyness of life. I wonder how much of that really is God and how much of it is just us. Right? The busyness of life. I'm so important. I'm so whatever. Um, I, I had a uh, pastor ask me this. Uh, this was years ago when cell phones were just becoming a thing. He made it against the rules for any of his staff to have their cell phones in their staff meeting. He said, why? I mean, I said, why? And he said, because um, the most important thing we're doing right now is this staff meeting. Nothing else is that important. But what if the president calls? You let me know. What he, what the, let me listen to that message. Right? There's always something that is, is very important, very important. I, I'll give you one just to try, specifically as you're, if you're a married couple. Try this. Go on a date with your spouse, and leave your cell phone at home. Some of you are breaking out in a cold sweat right now. Like, I don't think, I, is that possible? Could we, is, will the world work if we do that? What does it mean to balance and put the right things in life? The reason the Lord renews your strength is because you are going beside the streams that he wants to, to calm you down at. That he's the one who's leading you to rest in green meadows. The Lord wants you to be balanced. He wants you to have rest. He wants you to work hard. He wants you to do all that stuff. But he wants you to have balance too. And guys, we don't do that well. Sometimes it's because of money or power or or importance or whatever. But we just don't do that well. How dare we actually just turn Facebook off for an afternoon and just talk to the Lord. I said that to somebody a few years ago, and they said, well, I get, a lot of, um, I get a lot of connection with the Lord on Facebook. I'm like, hmm. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Not just good paths, but right paths. There's a lot of good paths we walk down. They're not necessarily the right path that the Lord wants us walking down. I've had to try to figure that out over the years as a pastor, and I'm redoing this all again as a representative. I'm really, I'm I'm in a a learning 
time frame of how do I balance this stuff? What's the difference between a good path and a right path? There's a lot of good paths out there. As a pastor, I, I learned to process this properly years ago. As a pastor, there's always going to be somebody needing your attention, something needing your attention, some ministry needing your attention, something, and they're all good. You know, we get letters for missionaries here at the church or emails or whatever about two or three a week. Now, I add that up over years and years. Who do we sponsor? Who do we give money to? Who do we ask for services? You've got to really be praying about that stuff because we get so much all the time. In fact, somebody was joking with me. I was at a political thing this last week I was speaking at, and they were joking. They said, can I have your personal cell phone number? Um, because if I call the church, I'm assuming I won't get through. And I said, well, if you call the church, you probably will get through because our admin is still new enough. He doesn't know how to make sure you don't get through yet. <laughs> but that's his job. Because why? I'd be talking to missionaries all day long, every day, and that's just one category. I can give you 30 more. Okay? So you have to figure out, just because it's a good path doesn't mean it's the right path. What is God telling you to do? This is why when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, I've been really praying about this, and God's put it on my heart that we should have this ministry, whatever the ministry is. We should have this ministry. 99% of the time, the reason they're coming and telling me is because they want me to do it. Right? And I tell them, good, run with that. I'm not, I'm not saying what they're doing is not legitimate. I'm just saying I know what I'm doing, and I know where I am, and I know which is the right path and which are very good paths. For, for, for me, a good path may be your right path. My right path may not be your right path. But the Lord will lead us in these things. <clears throat> Even when I walk through the darkest valley, in the King James, that's the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why this gets used at funerals a lot. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. That is a choice you have to make. That is not just something that happens naturally. You have to choose. Am I going to be afraid or am I not going to be afraid? You say, no, it's just, it's just what happens. It is not just what happens. We choose that stuff. We choose depending on what. When you get, when you get the doctors um, telling you, okay, this is what's happening <clears throat> with your body or, <clears throat> or whatever the case is, does that mean you have to be afraid? No. You choose. What, where do I go with this? If God is truly in charge and he's the healer of my body and he's, he's the all-consuming one, then what am I afraid of? It doesn't mean you don't have something. It just means how you, you process that. Do I trust God or not trust God? I always think about this when it comes to you know, the, teaching your kids to swim and, you're, and your kid's standing on the side of the pool and you say, jump. You're right there. You can almost touch them. And all they're going to do is jump right into your face. They're probably not even barely going to hit the water. But they're scared to death. Why? Because at some point, they don't trust that you're going to keep them from drowning. Right? It's the same thing. Jesus says jump, and we're like, I just, that water's deep, Jesus. Right? I choose to not be afraid. Why? 
Because you are close beside me, Lord. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. This is why I'm not afraid. Because you're protecting me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord. First two verses of Psalms 24, I think, are part of the same subject. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. That's the God you and I serve. He laid the foundation of the entire planet. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? I'm not saying this just in, okay, I just choose not to be afraid. But it is a choice, and you have to go down this road. You have, to, you have to convince yourself. And the way you convince yourself is through Scripture, not through experience. Experience can confirm it, but Scripture is where the reality of the truth comes in. Lord, you have done this, and you have done this, and you have done this. Um, I'm going to skip down to the, the bottom of the First Thessalonians Scriptures <clears throat> to um, verse 17. This is talking about the rapture. This whole thing is talking about the rapture. I talked about it a few weeks ago, so I don't have to go over it all again. But verse 17, it says, Then together with them, the people, everybody that's getting raptured, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, which is one of the reasons that I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because it says that we're going to meet Jesus in the air. The second coming, Jesus is standing on the earth. He comes to the earth and puts his feet on the earth. The rapture, we go to meet him in the air. Those are two different things, okay? You can figure that out yourself. But he says, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So verse 18, talking about the rapture. Verse 18, so encourage each other with these words. It shouldn't be scary each other with these words. Encourage each other. Why? Because we're going to be with the Lord forever. That's the encouragement. Psalms 91, I'm just going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. Psalms 91 has got 16 verses in it. This is, this is one of the scriptures I think you should, you should uh, read regularly. Could be a, it could be in the category high enough, important enough. Read Psalms 91 every day. I started doing this years, years ago. I memorized Psalms 91 years ago, and I quote it to myself all the time. Now, I learned it in King James, so I quote it to myself in King James. But... Um, But this is just a few verses right in the middle of it. Verse 5, do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the air that flies in the day. It's so difficult sometimes to get that into our spirit, from our head to our spirit. But that's why I think you read it over and over and over and over. When you see a truth in Scripture, but it hasn't gotten to your spirit yet, um, that just keep quoting it, keep reading it out loud, and all of a sudden you'll start to see it starts to get into your spirit, not just in your head. It moves by the power of being a living thing called the Word. That Jesus moves it into your spirit. It actually is Jesus. moves it into your spirit. Verse 6, do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness. In fact, a few verses above this talks about disease too. How easy did we as an entire country and an entire planet get scared to death of a disease that did almost nothing? And we got scared to death. 
it's, it's, it's bizarre. Because Satan loves to make us afraid. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor do the disaster that strikes at midday. <clears throat> though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. I do like the way the King James says this better. A thousand will fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come to you. I just want you to stand with me. I know we have, <clears throat> there is a reality that there is things to be concerned about. That's why I'm constantly telling us about this. But I'm really not trying to make us afraid. I don't process it this way. The more I see this stuff happen, and I get excited. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, I, I, my grandkids may not agree with this, but I want Jesus to come before my grandkids are at the age where they make their own decision spiritually. I call it the age of accountability. That's not actually in the Bible, but I believe in it. But I, I, Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, come quickly. I don't see that as a negative. I can understand why you might. But what I would like to do is I want us to pray and, and ask the Lord, Lord, help us with this. That we don't, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid. I want to be scared. I want to be excited about what you're doing. Encourage each other with this. So I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask you to, to, to if you want to be prayed for, to come down front. And we're going to have just people gather around you and pray. You say, yes, this stuff is bothering me, it's concerning me, it's scaring me, it's causing me um, um, nervousness, anxiousness. We want to pray for you. That's what the body of Christ is for. Okay? Well, let me pray for us first. God, we ask you to just enter in our minds and our hearts right now. Jesus, drive out fear. Drive out the stuff. Drive out the, the lies that Satan tells us. Lord, I know that you will take care of me. I know you will. Help that to get from my head into my spirit. And I pray that for every one of us here. God, that, that different people throughout this room that are, that are struggling with this, Lord, we want to we st uh, step up with them and pray for them. Lord, help us to do this as a body together this morning. In the name of Jesus. So if this is you, you say, this stuff is just making me so nervous. Maybe all the way to fear, but it's really bothering me. I'd like you to step out and just come up and line, along the, line up along the front. And, uh, and we want people to come stand with you and, and pray for you, pray with you in this. So don't be afraid to come down about being afraid. Because we want to pray for you. wait because I know that there are some of you here. We just know that God is bigger.
I'm going to pray for us as a group. I'm not going to call you out by name when you came and talked to me about this stuff. You know I've never said that, so this is important to me. I don't want you to walk out of here being afraid, because that's the point. Don't walk out of here being afraid. Okay, Holy Spirit, you, you get into our minds and our spirits. Lord, you help us. I cannot do this by myself. Lord, the information is too big. The stuff that's happening around the world is too big. Lord, I believe this stuff is about to get worse. But Lord, that does not change you. You are still the God of everything. You're the God of today. You're the God of tomorrow. You're the God of my marriage. You're the God of my children. You're the God of my grandchildren. Lord, you're the God of the workplace. You're the God of money. That nothing is outside of your ability, control. You're the God of everything. So Lord, we commit ourselves. We commit our hearts, our minds, the way we think about all this stuff. Lord, we know that Satan said that he is going to attack the way we think about you, God. And he's going to tell us you're not big enough. So Lord, we, we fight that right now. He's going to tell us that you don't care. Lord, we fight that right now. He's going to tell us that, that this stuff is going to destroy us. Lord, we fight that right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, you give us clarity, you give us confidence, you give us boldness that we belong to you. Your word says that you will protect us and cover us with your rod and your staff. everything is under your authority. So Lord, help us to pursue you with everything about us that we don't waver in that. And when everything is, is crashing around us, Lord, we are standing strong and serving you. In the name of Jesus. We thank you. God, I thank you for Church at Briargate. I thank you for these people. I thank you for what you are doing in our hearts and our lives thank you for the, the things that you're doing that we don't even know about. But you are so big. Lord, we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that he is so much bigger than what they're dealing with. Take that opportunity. Tell them about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. To guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, tell them how glad you are that they're here and uh, how beautiful the landscaping outside looks. And we will see you Wednesday night.